This is IA Story Share, a podcast from Imagining America, where publicly engaged artists, designers, scholars, students, and community members share stories about their life and work. This first series features one-on-one conversations recorded at the 2017 Imagining America National Conference held in and around Davis, California. Today, a conversation between Danielle Fedor and Megan Brady Nelson. Danielle is an artist, teacher, and community organizer living in Davis, California. She creates artworks that transform people, places, and communities by working in a variety of mediums, including murals, zines, performance, audio, and posters. Megan is an arts educator at Belmont University in Tennessee. She collaboratively created a huge kids' arts festival south of Nashville that, in its recent year, attracted 6,000 attendees. The two met for the first time at the Imagining America conference about an hour before they sat down to record their conversation. They quickly bonded over talking about the art they do in communities. They talk about the role of the arts in building kids' identities, how art can be inserted into non-art areas of learning, the value of families making art together, and how most artists are uncomfortable with the chaos of creating in community. So Megan, um, can you tell me how you got into your line of work? Oh gosh, into my line of work. I've been making art since I was five years old. Um, A woman by the name of Judy Canis, who is a Sausalito painter, lived next door to me and she was never able to have children. So she kind of latched onto me as her kid and would always bring me into her studio when she was painting and so I always knew I wanted to be an artist Um, and so I did. I graduated with a painting degree and then went off into the world, didn't really know what to do, started teaching art and loved teaching as much as making art so then I went back and got a teaching degree. Um, My husband, we moved to Chicago and I started teaching art on the south side of Chicago and it made me realize that just because I'm an artist and I'm a teacher I may not be trained as an art educator so then I went back to school to learn how to combine those two and um, just kept moving on and on. And now I, now I teach artists how to be teachers and I teach elementary ed students how to use art in the classroom. And I teach students across the college how to appreciate art. So, Is there a favorite medium you have? Mm. Right now I love painting with my four-year-old. So right now being a mom, I'm, you know, my time is so limited so that when I collaborate with her, whatever she really wants to play with, that's my favorite medium at the moment. Do you paint on the same um, canvas at the same time? We do. We do. It's so fun. Uh I let her choose the colors and then I turn it around so it's at her height and we never, she just is so fun because she reminds me that you don't have to have anything in your mind or an end point that you're just playing with the material. So it's been really fun. It's reminding me of why I love painting in the first place. Yeah. How about you? What brought you to art? Um, I I always think that we have this innate uh, tendency to make lines with sticks on paper and dirt. So I think like <laughs> the initial what brought me to the work is like humans desire to express themselves. Um, but uh, I loved to draw as a child. And uh I kept getting sidetracked into other things because I was always told art wasn't a profession to have. Mm -hmm. So I kept finding ways to do art in other professions. So I got um, my undergraduate degree in botany and I ended Mm -hmm. up choosing botany in part because I, there was lots of drawing in all the classes and my drawings Mm -hmm. really mattered. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd originally started out in the art program and I felt that my art professors didn't really comment on my work and weren't very engaged in it. 
um, and often actually weren't respectful of student work. Hmm. But when I got into the botany program and I just took one or two classes, uh, my professors would be like, so you got the lines or the leaf shape really well in this, but there's something you haven't captured in this drawing. So what I was really interested in was mastering the skill of drawing was hmm. really embraced in um, kind of that old school botanical illustration um, even though our program didn't have illustration as a component, it's the way that we learn to look at the plants and know them. Um, and then um, I worked in organic farming for a number of years. Uh, and I came back to drawing because I realized as I was trying to sell my vegetables that what the reasons why people weren't willing to pay more for something ecologically grown or better for the earth had nothing to do with the money in their pockets. It had to do with their cultural values. And mm. the way we create cultural values is through the stories we share. And it's mm. through the images that resonate with us. Um, and people feel a lot of really comfortable spending their money on a fancy car or a new house that's been advertised to them or that they've seen on TV. But we didn't have powerful images about our communities. Mm. Um, and they weren't and so I became very interested in cultural work. Uh, and because painting is my skill, that's the cultural work I do. It's so interesting to know your background and the, the drawings you were taught because I see that. Mm -hmm. I've only known you for an hour and you show me the images that you've created in the, the intersecting murals. And the, I mean, it's, it's orga organic and growing in a beautiful way. And that's, I mean, no, I, I see that connection now with you. So it's funny. When I went back to grad school, I studied um, community development, and I studied in the Chicano Studies program mm -hmm. um, as a partner with the community development program. And I worked a lot with silkscreen and murals and um, under Malachias Montoya. And he has an incredible skill at portraiture. And I feel like a lot of the images that came out of the Tana and um, the Chicano Studies program really have these amazing portraits. And I'm just mm -hmm. not that great of a portraitist. Yeah. I love drawing plants and animals. And so mm -hmm. one of the challenges for me as an artist that I'm always figuring out is how do I combine my love for social justice mm -hmm. um, and cultural change with also what my actual skills are. And my skills mm -hmm. are, and what I love to draw is plants and animals. Um, but every culture has a connection to nature. Mm -hmm. And so that's the thing that I'm always looking for. Um, I think it's so smart of you. I mean, I've seen, I've only seen a little bit of your work and it's so beautiful and well done because you're doing what you, what you do well. <laughs> so, yeah. And we always look for strengths, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I learned a little bit about your work outside. Mm -hmm. um, and you were telling me about this children's festival that you organize. Oh, yeah. um, so could you tell me a little bit um, sure. more about that it's now? The, um, it's the Kids Arts Festival of Tennessee. And we have... Let's see, this is, we just had our third year, and it is the first festival in Tennessee that's geared specifically only for kids, um, K, uh, ages K through 12, and it's a one-day festival. Um, we have art stops where families experiment, play, make art with their kids. Um, we have art stops where students are um, per experimenting with performance exercises, you know, like theater sports. We have a stage going all day long where kids are performing anything from dance to open mic to their music. Um, and then we also have a, the culminating celebration is that we have an art installation happening where all the festival attendees are doing something. One year is a mural, another year is mosaic tiles. This next year, it'll hopefully be sunshade sails, can never pronounce it, um, that we hope to install at the baseball fields. Um, and it's just an amazing event where families come out and make art with their children. And I think my favorite thing is that the parents are reminded that the art making process is fun, but it's challenging and it's a learning process. And that that process of making something with our hands 
experimenting with it can help their children in the other skills of reading, writing, math, social skills. So, and I'm a mom in the area. So, I mean, if anything, I'm just so happy that this festival is here from my children as well. So you work in arts education, right? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to me because I always run into this stereotype when I tell people I'm an artist that I go into my studio and I work all by myself. Yeah. Um, And that's the stereotype we have in our society about artists. And yet this conference is about celebrating Mm -hmm. artists working with community. Um, But I imagine it's something like the children's at the kids festival Mm -hmm. that you get um, a lot of people who probably have that presumption that art is something you do by yourself. So, um, how do you see that affecting people that they are making art in community or they're making art with their family members? And can you share, do you have any stories about that? I mean, to be honest, I haven't had the luxury of making art by myself in many, many years. (laughs) So (laughs) who are those people? Um, I think it's just, you know, like this next year, we're hoping to bring in professional artists and they're going to share their art making process with the families. So they're going to be able to get to see into that special, you know, uh, isolated process that, you know, that a, that a studio visit isn't that because they will be, the artists are going to set up what they do in a way that the parents and kids can collaboratively make it together. Um, and I'm not even sure how that's going to go, but I'm excited for what's going to come out of it. <laughs> and that's, mm-hmm. a, I mean, the great thing about this festival, it is, I don't want to say it's simple, but it is, it is just people who have gotten together because they truly love art, they love kids, and they want to celebrate it. Mm-hmm. So it's nothing fancy. Um, the sponsors love to sponsor to keep it free. Um, I mean, it's really, we have pop-up tents and volunteers from my students, volunteers from, I have volunteers from my parents' neighborhood who just want to help, and they tell me, put me somewhere where I don't have to help the kids, I'll just pass out water. But, I mean, people really want to help. They want to be part of their community, even if they say they're not great at making art. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell me, when you try to explain what you do to someone outside the field, I... I always tell that to my students. Okay, get ready. It's Thanksgiving. How are you going to tell your grandfather what you're going to do for a living? So how, how do you explain what you do? So it's always changing because yeah. um, I haven't found the perfect uh, description. And it's funny, as we were talking outside, that mm-hmm. um, I've really enjoyed the word so- social practice. It yes. has come into the common yeah. lexicon because it does give uh, – I just had feedback from um, a woman in the neighborhood that I did this last large intersection mural, and she said mm-hmm. – what I didn't understand when we started and you tried to tell me was that like the physical artwork on on the street that we're making is only one piece. And really the artwork that you do is with us as a neighborhood mm. in the in our relationships with mm-hmm. each other. Um, and so that's why I often say like I'm a community organizer or mm-hmm. I do neighborhood-based public art um, because I'm really okay. interested at this point in, in putting art into places where people go on a daily basis so you don't have to drive downtown, so you mm-hmm. don't have to go outside of, because as we work for a more local community, I'm interested mm-hmm. in the ultra local. And also I have this personal thoughts about social isol- isolation. Mm-hmm. So I live in this city that is, I live in Davis. I live, I'm in my home right now yeah. where we're so um, connected. You know, there's all these people are on the internet and they're all mm-hmm. connected that way. We have a bikeable and walkable city, um, relatively small employer. So a lot of people bike or walk to their workplace. And mm-hmm. yet, Having lived here a long time um, as an undergraduate with a really unpleasant uh, boyfriend, mm. um, and then having lived here uh, as a young mother, 
um, with a small and intense child, um, and then having care given for a family member who had some mental health problems. I've had these periods where I felt completely socially isolated. Mm. Uh, even though I live in the city that's really interconnected. And um, and so it's interesting to me, like, what is the role of arts in overcoming that so- social isolation? And I think we can really do that only at the, in a way, at the most ultra local level, going mm-hmm. to where people's homes are. Because if you're truly socially isolated, you don't go that far outside your home. Or you don't have the opportunity to because you're so busy supporting your family. Yeah. Absolutely. You've so. done to me. I mean, I look at those those aerial shots and what I told you, it just makes me think of that it's it's like this beautiful carpet for people to gather on. And I don't mean to make that sound. I mean that in a very complimentary way that it's like like the southern front porch. Mm-hmm. It's the place you're supposed to go and sit and just talk to your neighbor. And, you know, and the art is what's bringing everyone there, literally like magnetizing them to that space that they're mm-hmm. stepping onto it. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. It's funny. And I feel like a picture speaks a thousand words, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Nobody understands what my work is until I bring out the picture. <laughs> yeah, it really does help. Yeah. So in a way, those Thanksgiving meals are all about like, I have to bring my like phone mm. or some pictures and share yeah. it that way. Um, I think the photographs yeah. of the the community members making that art is even art too. Yeah. Like you show me, I mean, the smiles on their faces. It's a kid dumping paint that was, you know, or the three women that came out that uh, were in their beautiful clothing. And I mean, it's just that itself is the art making too. The yeah. people actually doing it together, enjoying mm-hmm. that process. We are the fabric of our community, right? Each of our faces, each of mm-hmm. our bodies. Mm-hmm. So I am overwhelmed when I think of your work as an arts educator oh. of educators because educators. you have all these different mediums. And the same thing with the children's, with the kids festival you mm-hmm. were telling me about. So how do you, like, I feel like as a painter, I have this very specialized piece of knowledge where I've thought about the process, steps in the process really well. But you mm-hmm. teach about community engagement um, with the arts in a wide variety of mediums to people mm-hmm. from different backgrounds are going to take it in different kinds of communities. How do you feel like you have an impact or you can make sense of things with so many different contexts and mediums that people might be working in? Okay. Do you mean at the arts festival or with my, my student? Cause it's kind of different. With I kind of Well, <laughs> I think with my students, you know, my art education, it's kind of, I see it in different areas with my art education students. I'm lucky because they are trained in the mediums by the art department. I mean, we have an amazing ceramics instructor, an amazing painting, you know, amazing sculptor. I can trust that they're getting those skills. And then it's my job to teach them how to create lessons, take that knowledge of art making, and then how do they write lessons for different bodies of students in, in the communities they're going to be in. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, the hard, the one thing I really impress on them is that they're going to have a book of amazing lessons, but none of those are going to be exactly correct for the body of students you're going to be with because mm-hmm. they don't know where they're going to teach who are those students at that moment in time? And so I just hope that I'm giving them the skills to know how to get to know their community of learners and then use their art making skills, ideally for just to help build these young students' identities, give them confidence through art making. And I mean, honestly, it doesn't matter if it goes home looking like crap, if the students got something out of the process, hopefully it goes home looking well, but that's, you know, um, and for the elementary teachers, I really hope that they see that art can be put into the, their core subjects. So I'm and helping them to not be so scared of art. They take this course with me because it's an elective. And I love how many, so many of them on day one are like, well, I'm not an artist. I hope you're not going to grade me on my art making. And, um, 
I don't. I really, all I want them to do is go through the process of making art and the process, the, the projects I set them up with are seeing how art can be inserted into reading, how art can be inserted into math and how it can actually make students learn that subject better, you know, especially students like that. Um, and then in the community art setting, it's really, really process-based. I mean, these art stops have to be so fluid that, I mean, some of these art stops are so busy that, you know, we have three volunteers, but if 10 families walk up, there needs to be enough visual that a parent can look up and say, okay, I kind of see what we're doing here. Let's grab this paper and let's start folding this or doing this. And they have to figure it out with their child, which I think that process is just so beautiful, you know, figuring it out with your child with things in your hands. Um, so, I mean, the, the arts festival is just such a unique, and it's very unique for my students to come to, to understand that teaching isn't always, doesn't always have a start and end. You know, you don't always get to sit the kids down right in front of you, read a nice book and have an end time, that it can be very fluid and students can be coming and going in different levels of their learning. I love that idea of learning in the community. Um, mm. and it's interesting to me when I think about the work you do, I think about the fact that children give grownups the permission to play. Yep. yep. Like um, in my family, my husband and his his parents, none of them are drawers. Mm. And I had never seen, they were very afraid of drawing around mm. me. They would never, um, they would never, I'd never seen them put a pencil to a paper in a creative way. But when my son would ask them, they would do those things. Mm. Uh, and so putting families into situations where um, not only does the child give permission to the grown-up to draw something mm -hmm. or to create something that otherwise the uh, the parent would not indulge themselves mm -hmm. or jump in, uh, but also sometimes I find with the arts and the intergenerational experiences that uh, it creates a space in which the child is better at something than the grown-up. And which I think and is so beautiful for the child, right? It's, it's good for yeah. all, everyone's, everyone's relationship. It is, it is. But there's nothing like a child saying like, wait, I can do it better than you, Mima? Or I can do it better than you, Nani, or Grandma, or whoever you call? Yeah. I think it's such a confident, and it reminds the adults that it's it's okay to start again at something you don't know what you're doing. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, yeah, on the Arts Festival, we just really try and make it a step-by-step -step thing, kind of like climbing a ladder. Look, Don't look up, don't look down, just one step at a time, and it you can get there. Um, so we don't do like portraiture. We don't do, you know, we don't do still life drawings. That's not what it's about. It's really process based, getting your hands in the mediums. And yeah, and you're right, playing, playing together. So I think you said you have 6,000 people who come to that. Is that we right? We did. We had 6,000 this last year. So how do you manage that huge number of people? And it is. I'm very lucky. The Parks Department is amazing. The Franklin Parks Department, they want this kind of event. They, I mean, they have this calendar of events. I joke that I tell my husband we live in Mayberry. We have the rodeo parade. We have the family day. We have the touch the truck. We've got, and they wanted an arts festival. And they knew well enough that they didn't know what that meant. So they reached out to me. They reached out to a public school art teacher who was at the time the um, president of the Williamson County Cultural Arts Society and said, hey, this is what we want. This is what we can do well. Give us your knowledge and tell us what we should do. So I'm very, it's very, it's an organic true process of people coming together and we just use our own strengths and work together. I could not do it without the parks people. They do all the managing of the police, the first aid, the stations of food, water, bathrooms. They set all the tents up. I mean, there's things I wouldn't know how to do and I don't need to because they do that so well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. And then 
the art stations themselves? Are those things that you manage with your students? Do. Or do you invite the community to create those? So far, I've done it with my students. Um, wow. This next time, we'd like to invite, like I said, a couple um, professional artists to come in and run one. Mm-hmm. So, And I'm not even sure how that's going to go. I've um, I do know that we're going to bring in the um, visual designer from the anthropology store, which is just around a couple blocks away. And she's so excited because she loves kids. She loves working with them. And she's happy to share her art with, you know, in a very un, you know, messy environment. So I need to find people that would be comfortable with that. Um, That's interesting to me because so on this last installation that I showed you the pictures of, I always I'm gotten really into this um, part of my career where I'm interested in sharing my knowledge Mm -hmm. with other artists who are committed to having a public practice. And um, and one of the things that I learned from our this last project where I invited several artists to come in and work underneath me um, in kind of apprenticeship positions Mm. is that many artists are uncomfortable with the chaos of creating in community. Oh, yeah. And that was a really interesting to me to think about what are the personality traits that we have that make us capable of creating beautiful art and of trusting random people who you've never met before today to be part of that process. It's very vulnerable. It is. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's why I mean, I mean, there are I could, I have a lot of amazing professional artists I could ask, but it really doesn't matter what their art looks like. It matters how they are of people. Yeah. So that's what's going to be most important. Yeah. So I can't wait to talk to you next year and tell you how it goes. <laughs> I'd love to. Hopefully we will. Um, I, I have a story. So this is asking us to tell about a story um, that names our current historical moment in time. I told you I teach on the college um, at a college. I, I've been teaching art appreciation, a course that not, no one else wanted to teach, but I actually really enjoy it because it's around 100 students, um, and they are students from rural Tennessee, students from abroad, and I was teaching it during the election. And it was the students were fighting in class, debating, and here I am trying to teach them about art, and I asked them, I'm like, is this something you want to talk about in class? And they said yes. Now, never forget one student said, how can we think about anything else? I mean, how can we talk about anything else when it's all anyone's thinking about? So I... Um, I went and found images from the election, images that were being used in campaigns, images that were memes. And we looked at them in a very critical visual literacy way to understand what do you see in this image? What do I see in this image? How come it's it's this man and he's got a flag in his hand, but it means something so different to you than it does to me because I've been raised with these values, you've been raised with these values. And just because I've been raised with these values and you have doesn't mean I am everything that this party says I am, this party says I am, that we can actually somewhat have empathy for each other, even though we'll never agree. So that to me was just such a beautiful way that art kind of helped build empathy during the election, which I don't know about for you, but it was a time that I felt was very emotionally wrecking. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting to me when I look at photographs and how you choose the frame, right? Like a Uh, photographer is always choosing which things they include and which things they mm -hmm. don't. And for me, it's the difference of um, a news photographer versus a documentarian Mm -hmm. versus an artist. And the stories they tell with their photographs can be how the photo is framed. And that tells how you interpret it and whether you have empathy or not for the people in the photo. Um, And who looks like they have the power. I totally so. want to do a lecture on that now. <laughs> After this is over, we're going to go out and I'm going to write that down. That's amazing. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, I mean, if they're documenting, they're just showing it exactly how it is. If, you know, you're telling a story or are you t- trying to t- think, make me think a certain way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
It's been lovely talking with you. <laughs> this has been amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That was Danielle Fedor and Megan Brady Nelson, who participated in IA Story Share at the 2017 Imagining America National Conference. At the end of each session, we asked everyone who shared with us to also complete the sentence, I imagine an America. I've been thinking a lot lately about um, my own personal history. My grandmother just passed away, mm-hmm. and she was uh, one of the strongest women I've ever met in my entire life. She was a refugee two times. Mm. Um, she was also a Nazi sympathizer. And oh. so I have this history of both being the oppressor and the oppressed in my family. Wow. And to me, I've been thinking a lot about what that heritage is. And part of the reason why I'm interested in social justice work is because uh, I don't have a heritage of it. Hmm. Uh, and, um, and I'm very aware that my family has sometimes been on the wrong side of things. Uh, and so, like, how can we embrace our difficult histories and talk about mm-hmm. them? Uh, and how the imagine America I want to imagine is where... We talk about our histories and we talk about our dreams. And we talk about those things across our cultural differences. To hear those short segments, go to our website, imaginingamerica.org, and click on IA Story Share. You can subscribe to the IA Story Share podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. And if you'd like to contact the IA Story Share project, our email address is connect at imaginingamerica.org. The views presented in this podcast are not necessarily those of Imagining America, the University of California, Davis, or the University of California Regents. Our opening theme music is by Joe Kai. Our closing music today is by Gabriel Reynolds. Imagining America, Artists and Scholars in Public Life, is a national consortium of academic institutions and cultural organizations based at the University of California, Davis.